Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Veteran portfolio manager Steve Dufour joins us today, manager of the concentrated Fidelity US-focused stock fund for Canadian investors. 2022 has been a turbulent year in equity markets, and Steve shares with us today where he is currently finding opportunities using his rigorous stock picking process. And he notes the key to his process is focusing on relative earnings growth during this time of bearish economic outlook. Today, with host Pamela Ritchie, Steve also reflects on the energy sector, e-commerce payment companies versus the traditional payment companies, and healthcare, among other topics. One interesting note on healthcare is Steve sharing healthcare in the U.S. is moving towards small and personalized medicine for small subsets of the population. This podcast was recorded on August 11th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Steve, just when we sort of say the title of the fund itself, it describes the fact that it's concentrated. There there are not a lot of stocks in it. I wonder if it sort of bears repeating a little bit. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the fund itself. Okay. Um, Correct. U.S. uh, focused stock fund. Um, And I try and keep uh, the fund in roughly, I can go as high as 60, but I, I own, own roughly 40 names. Um, and I, over the years, I've been trying to control risk because when you invest uh, in a concentrated manner, you taking one risk, I try and uh, control the risk by owning companies with strong relative earnings growth, um, trading at attractive prices. And so that's what I've been doing in in strong markets, weak markets, volatile markets. And um, and that is, um, I, I'm a strong believer that over time, stocks follow um, um, the earnings trajectory of a company. And of course, we have had all of those markets, as you've just described there. There's been uh, a little bit of everything for the last two years. I mean, you, along with everyone, had to kind of bone up on viruses, on the healthcare sector, on various vaccine producers. I mean, everyone needed to ramp up on that. What are you finding you need to sort of fine tune your skills about now? You're correct. Um, This all started um, with COVID um, and we're still actually still dealing with the the ripple effects of COVID. Um, So you're correct. We started off becoming um, amateur uh, epidemiologists and now we're becoming amateur um, economists. Um, And it's kind of outside of our wheelhouse. um, in my 30th year here with Fidelity, um, and um, for 27 of them, um, I spent most of the time uh, talking with companies, figuring out valuations. But the mark, the the market's being driven. It was first two years ago being driven by the magnitude and duration of COVID, um, and now it's being uh, being um, dictated by the magnitude and duration of inflation. Um, and so it, there's not a lot of tools to deal with inflation. Um, and so rising inter- raising interest rates by the Federal Reserve is a blunt tool 
um, that they hope can lead to a soft landing. It usually does not. Um, so you're having to go back and what stocks worked last time we went through a, 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 a strong Fed tightening to deal with inflation. Um, is it does it work in strong? Does it result in a, in a soft landing, a hard landing? So you're you're taking you're you're basically doing a lot of history um, and trying to see because history it doesn't usually repeat, but it does rhyme. And so you want to basically make sure you uh, understand what what happened before and what what could happen in the future. So that mean like in reality, you absolutely are bottoms up in terms of your process, you've told us about this before. You've mentioned now that you have to do a little bit of top down because that's sort of the economist hat you have to wear. Yeah. Um, where does that take you over? First of all, maybe we talk a little bit about the horizon that you're working towards. Like, are you, what are you looking at sort of near term, but also how far out? It's usually, it's usually about 18 months. So um, the portfolio that's in the fund today is, is a kind of a mixture of how I was viewing things six to nine months ago portion of the ownership and how I'm starting to get the fund positioned for the next 18 months. So the fund is never, ever 100% positioned for the next 18 months. It's usually a transition of what we thought was working for 18 months, take some profits, um, rebalance, and then get get your next 18 months. So it's it's usually a combination of two portfolios um, at, any, at any given time. And you, you used to describe it in terms of buckets. I'm, you probably still do. And also in terms of the fairway, which I love golf. I'm yes. Very good at it, but um, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. What's on the fairway these days? Well, the fairway today is uh, anything that is benefiting from inflation um, or um, um, uh, the Ukrainian war or something like that. So the fairway today has a lot of energy in it. Um, it has a lot of um, commodities in it. Um, and then it also has um, companies that are, I call all weather. Um, there's a lot of problems in the world right now. We could spend the whole thing talking about problems, but I'd rather talk about the bright future that's coming in about nine months. But um, so as you deal with inflation, wage pressure, Chinese tensions, um, um, commodity costs, a strong dollar, slowing economy, we can keep the list gets going. There are companies um, that are, better prepared to deal with that. Um, health insurers here in the US, um, Coca-Cola, companies like that. So things like those things are in the in the fairway today. Um, they haven't been in the fairway for many years because um, as we have talked in the past, the fairway used to be um, e-commerce, um, uh, new types of SaaS uh, computing, um, payment companies and stuff like that. So this type of company is having its its day in the fairway. Um, the question is, how long will that last? And how quickly do you have to go to a new type of stock? When you're looking at sort of the, the brighter future, hopefully nine months out, I mean, what's gonna work and ultimately you know, the market view on that. Where's the theme of actually payments? You just mentioned there, I was thinking sort of finance generally, but, but payments are still somewhat central to what you're looking at or less, has it, has it changed around? It, it has changed around. So um, as we were heading into the COVID shutdown, there were types of payments companies that did very well because they enable e-commerce, they enabled person-to-person uh, -person payments when we actually weren't in person. So um, people were, were actually, people were giving concerts 
um, and they were getting paid for giving a concert using Square Cash or Venmo. Um, and so their businesses did very well. As we reopened, um, the, the core, the original payment companies, the Visas and the MasterCards are doing better because people are going and traveling again. And they make a lot of money on cross-border um, transactions. So people in, going from the U.S. or Canada to France um, or Italy or Australia or wherever, wherever um, has picked up uh, during this reopening. And so that type of payment um, does well. But as the economy does better, um, the payment companies usually see the volume through their, I call them their, their rails. How does inflation, in fact, if not in fact, that's probably the wrong word, sorry, um, affect, you know, the payments, come, things cost more, basically. Yeah. I mean, how, how ultimately does that come through on the other side for, you know, some of those companies you're looking at? So it, it actually is a, is a benefit for um, uh, Visa and MasterCard, because as you go and buy something, whether it's a tank of gas or, um, or lunch, um, they get a percentage of what you spend. Um, so as long as you keep spending and you're spending higher amounts, they're getting a higher take rate, um, or their take rate stays the same, but the, the, the payment to them actually goes up with no, with zero incremental cost. Interesting. Very interesting. The U.S. dollar is also interesting. There's a lot of strength through, you know the story well. Yeah. Ultimately, what does that do? I mean, we hear about it from sort of a multinational perspective, what, what companies have to deal with. How do you sort of if you will get on board that trend in the same way as inflation, like what, what do you do with that? You, you in the end, you're, you, it's it's strong relative earnings growth, and so if the strong dollar um, is affecting your earnings and you're taking your earnings down, as long as long as you're factoring in what the earnings growth is after the strong dollar and comparing it against the other field of investments, that's how I do it. So I let the variables go in, go through the income statement, and become earnings. Um, and then I look at the earnings growth and, and valuation, two variables, so strong relative earnings growth at attractive prices. Um, if, if you are being hurt by it and it's moving you down, you're not making the 40-person team because it is hurting you. Um, I will look through some kind of real franchise businesses, which is kind of where we're heading to in the next nine months. So one of our, one of our larger holdings historically and and, and um, currently is, is involved in the uh, rating agencies um, and they rate the bond issuances. And in the month of July, high yield bond issuances were down 93%. So as you look out nine months from now and they have comparisons, so I'm looking at the earnings growth currently, but I'm also looking what could it be a year from now or 18 months from now. And so I've got two stacks. How do you look now in this stack? And how do I foresee you looking in 12 months? Because the market's going to pay for the, the second stack versus the first stack. So how ultimately does the fund, you know, would you rate it growth or value? Maybe, maybe you don't want to rate it that way, but how, how do you look at that? That's the question. I would rate it um, growth, but I would tell you that right now, or maybe we're, we're changing, the market's changing as we sit here. But if you went back kind of two, three months ago, I think growth in the market was the integrated oil companies, the EMP companies, the copper mm -hmm. companies, and that was growth. Just because um, some agency from MSCI or SP said, no, it's, it's 
Snowflake and Shopify, that's growth. But the, I'm going growth of earnings, not growth of revenues. And so, um, so I follow the growth in earnings. So I, that's why it's hard to characterize my fund ever as a value fund. But there's periods of time where we're overweight what other people classify as value. We used to have a large integrated bank in our top 10. We had a large integrated oil in our top 10. We had a large steel company, large steel company in our top 10. Um, so um, a large a casino company. So, But those were for different markets. So as we went from the world being shut to the world reopening, as we reopened, you wanted to own companies that got that got crushed during the downturn because their growth rate in their earnings was astronomical coming out. And so that that's what kept our fairway moving towards that type of company. I try not to dictate what I want to own. I, I look at the earnings and I let the fund uh, meander. And it, meandering is probably not a, um, um, a correct word for the last two, three years. It's been hard left, hard right, hard left, hard right. Yeah. I think you've used the sailing term like tacking. You've had to tack a lot, right? Correct. Um, it's the introduction of the virus to the world, followed by um, the shutdown, followed by the development of vaccines for the reopening, followed then by uh, stimulus, followed by record inflation um, and um, soon to be record um, uh, interest rate rises and potential recession. There's not been one type of stock that has been able to stay in strong relative earnings growth at attractive prices. So it's been a lot of um, um, movement to keep keep it uh, in the center of the fairway. What about the evergreenness, <laughs> like the chairness, um, the evergreenness of healthcare? Healthcare means a lot of different things, we know, but um, yeah. what? I know that you're very interested in certain companies that are doing incredible things uh, in the fights against various diseases. Do they hold up going forward? Is it is it as evergreen as we think? Um, I think there's there's evergreen is a tough word. Um, um, it's kind of like how the Fed said inflation was transitory. Um, everything's transitory if you look out 100 years. But um, evergreen is a tough word. But there are parts of healthcare that have very good franchises that should hold up better than others. The big, big um, pharmaceutical companies usually have one or two great new products that you, you go and meet with management and you're very excited about, but they have three pat three of three drugs that are coming off patent. So you're kind of adding two, losing three, adding two, losing three. And if you look at their earnings, we tend not to own some of the larger things because the earnings growth really is never that great because they're losing drugs that are in their eighth, ninth, 10th year with 90% margins, and they're having to ramp up spending on new ones. So the earnings never really show up in a way for our funds. So big, big, the big uh, companies, not so much. There usually is a couple good in, in, in med tech, um, in the med, uh, more of the devices, and um, there's some great new things. Um, we own a company that makes plastic bags that allow you to make the uh, drugs in a plastic bag versus a metal uh, metal container. Um, and every time you make that drug, they uh, you got to pay them for the bag. And uh, so it allows for people to do smaller batches because um, we're headed eventually towards personalized medicine. 
Um, we're not, we're the days of making something and making sure it works for everybody is, is it's not ending, but it's slowly going to go away. And they're going to be able to make smaller and smaller batches of things that are better for um, small subsets of the population. Truly such a fascinating area of the market. It really is. And Biotech has done, you know, incredibly well in the last, I don't know, that's not necessarily what you're talking about, but we've seen certain areas do very well um, recently. This is a question rolling in. It, it somewhat ties back to some of your comments on the US dollar. So, so do you consider small caps, more domestically oriented businesses? I, I, I consider uh, all caps. Um, uh, um, a stock is a stock. Um, I do take into account liquidity. Um, so um, my first thing on a smaller or smaller mid cap stock is I hit the um, HP function on my Bloomberg, which is tells you um, the average daily uh, trades in the stock. And so I don't want to get into something that I that I cannot. I don't want to. I don't want to get into something I can't buy a good position in, and I don't want to get into something I can't get out of. So as long as it's fairly liquid, um, I will buy um, pretty much anything um, anywhere. Tell us a little bit about sort of your outlook for, I'm going to say oil. I mean, I think I think we could talk broadly about energy. Um, we've seen prices come down. We know this story. It's a little bit of a touch point politically and, and also very personally, everyone feels it. So it's, it's a bit of a hot potato. That said, um, it seems to be kind of a different playing field. How do you look at the energy companies going forward? Are they important to you? Uh, have they had their run or what do you see? Um, they they are important to me. Yeah, but they they have the stronger strong uh, uh, highest uh, relative earnings growth of any industry right now. Um, and question is, are they attractively priced or not? And so you have to. It's a different world because a lot of them have um, single digit PEs, um, which you say, wow, that's attractively priced. But the question, a very good question, is, is it peak earnings or is it the fifth or sixth inning of earnings, and you're going to have higher, higher, higher highs. Um, and I, I don't. I was the energy analyst many moons ago. Like you know all the Canadian companies. I, yeah. I remember because you used to say you used to come up for like the rail company meetings. Like you know yes. all. So, but the the problem with energy is no one knows what the future price of oil. So I, I the, the former chairman of Exxon when I was very young, I went down there and said, "What's the future price?" He goes. Looked at me and said, "This is going to be our last meeting. If you ever come in here again and ask me what the future price of oil is, he goes, I don't know. And all the thousands of people I've hired to predict the price have been wrong year in and year out. So what's your next question?" I said, "I go, okay. So this guy has no idea, and no one who works for him has any idea. So I'm going to. So that that's that's a that's a what way? That's how I learned that no one really does knows." No one could have predicted a year ago that oil was going to go up 100%, and no one really knows where it's going the next thing. But for now, the ENP companies that I talk to, um, both in Canada, in the US, and the big integrants, they have found some new religion, which is we're not going to raise our CapEx and we're going to return our excess money to shareholders in the form of either dividends or share buybacks. If that holds, the world demand for oil will exceed production, which will result in higher prices. That's that looks like the path of least resistance, but something always changes, and so you have to you have to watch it. And usually, the stock the price of oil ref, 
does a pretty good job of reflecting the future. So I punt on that question, but I actually talked for three minutes on a punting question. No, no, well, I mean, it, it just goes to how everyone's trying to think through the future on this front, because we know that change ultimately will come, but at the moment, we still very much all of the traditional energy um, ways of providing energy to our homes and houses. It's it's a big question, obviously, in in Europe. What, what can you tell us about essentially what you think might move a little closer? What, what would it take to move some of the stocks that you've got, not on the fairway, um, onto the fairway? I mean, what, what are the pieces? This is sort of going back to the economics question, but I'm curious what you need to see in some different, more sustainable way to move certain stocks into more focus. Like, what, what are you watching? I, I am I am watching um, the, the direction of interest rates and all the other um, variables that are determining the cost of goods. So for most large cap items, people do not pay cash. They they take out a mortgage or they have car payments, stuff like that. So as interest rates gone up, that stuff is slowing. So um, a lot of um, industries that are, are interest rate uh, dependent, I'm watching to see if we if it looks like we've reached a, a peak in, in the cost of borrowing. So that's one thing, that whole sector could be there. But also, as interest rates can stabilize, growth stocks are two things. One, they are the growth rate of earnings, and two, they are the above market PE rate. Um, as interest rates have risen, that above market PE rate has contracted. So I'm spending a lot of time on growthier stocks that have been crushed because as we get past the contracting of the economy to, which I think we're going to have a pause, and I think we'll probably uh, uh, lower interest rates, and we go back, I think there's sectors that could not only have higher relative earnings growth, but actually have expanding PE. So I think I can get paid twice. So that's, that's, the, that's my, I'm spending a lot of time on that type of stock. Sectors. Can you tell us the sectors? I won't ask you about the stocks, but can you tell us about the sectors? A lot of it. A lot of it is in, in software. Um, um, the uh, a number of them in the chips and semi semi cap uh, equipment stocks. They've all been um, um, been crushed. Um, uh, a number of e commerce stocks um, have been crushed. Um, most things that you've seen get crushed. Um, I'm, I'm at least I, I've tried to form an opinion on it because I'm, I'm looking at going. All right. Just because the stock's down 60, 70, 80% doesn't mean it's a buy, but I want to make sure I understand what variables took it down. And as you said, what could happen in the next 18 months? Because as we talked at the beginning of this thing, we've had quick tax, um, which means we're going to have a couple more tax here in the next, uh, because that's what usually happens. And so I just want to understand if things do tack back, what is the magnitude change in their earnings? Um, and what would the market pay for it? So change in earnings plus change in PE and how much we could make. And if things stay the same, what is my downside? Um, how much? So that's, that's what I'm doing with a lot of companies. And most companies um, that are down a lot, um, I'm spending time on. We're glad that you're at the helm doing that too, because it's, you know, that's serious work. A um, couple other questions on... So this is coming back a little bit again to the way we started, but let's let's dig into it for a minute or so that you've got left here. Can you expand uh, more, Steve, on the type of investment 
market that you see potentially sort of 9, 12, 18 months? You mentioned that generally you're looking 18 months, but do you want to just provide a little bit of perspective on a nearer term and then a bit further out? Okay. So um, I couldn't do nine. I'll, I'll do six, six, six months out. I think we're still just going to kind of um, uh, meander along here. I think that um, the uh, earnings growth of these companies, everyone reported, most everyone's reported their second quarter numbers, which were fine. They weren't great. They weren't bad. They were fine. But they took their third quarter numbers down. Um, and so they, uh, I think third quarter, they're going to be fine to miss. Um, and then I think they're going to take fourth quarter numbers down. Um, so that get, that gets us to year end. Um, the good thing is, as we get into next year, and I think during this period, there's one fly in the ointment is midterm elections. So without midterm elections, I think the Federal Reserve, they know they got behind the eight ball and they basically have got to crush inflation because if it spreads, if the dandelion spreads to the to the whole lawn, you're not you're not going to be able to you're not going to have lawn left. You're going to have dandelions, and so they are going to have to crush the dandelions and get it under control. And so, but they may may or not pause during the midterm elections because someone will say it's political, not political. But um, so during that period, you have okay earnings, rising interest rates, and we're probably going to be in a, a defined recession. But that's that's what's happening then. The market looks out. So the market looks out 12 to 18 months. And so I think people are already looking right now in January and February. And that's why on these days when it looks like things are things, they go like that. So but a year from now, I see people moving back to growthier stocks. And I think that the days of hanging out in a lot of all-weather stocks will change, and I think that people will look for strong relative um, uh, growth, and that will come from new sectors, um, um, which um, are yet to be determined. And that's and that's why, yeah, happy that you're at the helm of that because that is a tricky one to stick handle through. Steve DeFore, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining us, and, and we look forward to seeing you again soon, perhaps in the fall. All right, All right. thank you, Pamela. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.